You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Right on. Welcome to church today. Great to see you. And I want to say a big welcome to those of you that are watching online and those of you that are worshiping the video cafe with a cup of coffee in your hands right now. Uh, I want to give a shout out to those of you up in the balcony today. How are we doing balcony up there? I was worshiping up there last week, and that's a great place to catch a service. And in case you're new here and you're a first-time guest, we've been in this series of teachings about the red letters of Jesus, and we've said almost every week this one transforming idea that change happens daily, not in a day. And that's why we've encouraged everyone to actually for themselves read the red letters of the Scriptures, that is to get into the Gospels, go through our 84-day reading plan uh, that we posted on our website, on our social media, all of that. And if you've not been keeping up with the reading plan, you just start today. If you're coming to the series for the first time and you want to read through the red letters of Jesus for yourself and not depend on someone else to read it for you or teach it to you, then you go straight to uh, the words of Jesus there uh, in the red letter section and start up today. Well, to start our service today, or our uh, teaching segment today, I want to tell you the story about an Illinois man who wanted to leave the snowy streets of Chicago to take a vacation and go down to sunny Florida and enjoy the warmth there. His wife was on a business trip, so the man would get there a day ahead of his wife, so she would be joining him the next day. So the husband got there early. He wanted to fire off an email to his wife to let her know that he had arrived safely. But when he typed in her email address, he got one letter wrong. So the email got rerouted to this elderly minister's wife, whose husband had just died the day before. And when she read the email, she screamed out and fainted. And a relative who was watching her came into the room, noticed her fainted there, cared for her, and then looked on the screen to see what it said. The email read like this, dearest wife, just got checked in. Everything prepared for your arrival tomorrow, your loving husband. P.S., it sure is hot down here. So, that's funny, and I know funny. But look, as we talk about hell today, it sure is hot down there. It should be a hell of a sermon today, I'm telling you that right now. Uh, But we'll get to that in a minute. But last week, I was talking with Mark Roy backstage between services. You enjoy Mark's sermon last week? Did you guys join me in thanking Mark? Yeah. So Mark's, I think, in Baltimore today, feeding folks in the inner city there and helping out there. But he, we were talking about this quote from Deshauna Barber, who was Miss USA from 2016. And here's what she said. Do not fear failure, but be terrified of regret. Isn't that a great quote? And it was so good, so impacting for me that I decided to make it the big idea or the transforming idea for our conversation today. And it's simply this, do not fear failure, but be terrified of regret. So I'll say the first part, and then I'll point to you, and you can say the second part of that big idea out loud with me. Balcony, you got to represent up there. You ready? Here we go. Do not fear failure, but be terrified of regret. I think the balcony was the only one doing it. Let's try it one more time and everybody else can do it. Video Cafe, you got to be loud and proud as well. Here we go. Do not fear failure, 
but be terrified of regret. Good. Everybody was into it there. And, you know, hell is one of those things that you read about when you read through the red letter sections of the Bible. And what is it? I mean, is it literal flames or what's going on there? Uh, And we have all kinds of questions about hell. Well, uh, our views of hell today have been shaped by literature, mostly outside the Bible. So a lot of us, whether we know it or not, our view of hell has been shaped by Dante's Inferno. I brought this picture of it. Some people think that there are these levels of hell or whatever, and that doesn't really come from the Bible. It comes from Dante. Others have been, had your view of hell shaped more by Homer Simpson, you know? It's like eternal donuts going into your mouth or something like on uh, The Simpsons. But really, uh, are these things in the Bible? And in recent years, hell was a big subject. It was kind of a hot topic because of a few books that came out. And I thought it was probably just a topic that's being discussed amongst church people and Christian people. But actually, a couple of these books made it on the New York Times bestseller list. They were on major news outlets. So the conversation was broader than just inside the church. One of the books that I resonated most with was written by Francis Chan. It was called Erasing Hell. And in his book, he takes a very serious tone there. He appreciates how the conversation was raised by other authors, and he's very respectful of the other authors. I appreciate that in an age where people can't have a conversation, you know. Francis Chan was very open to others and very gracious to others who disagreed with him on his view of the afterlife and how. But he says it's very dangerous to lead with the phrase, I would not believe in a God who would blank. Have you ever said that? I wouldn't believe in a God who would allow people to go to hell. Chan says, have you ever considered that just maybe the God of the universe has a more complex view of justice than you and I do? In a very compassionate tone, he goes through this book and says, we've got to consider that humans' lives and eternities are at stake. And so we have to carefully think through how we view it. And ultimately, Francis Chan would say that those who never choose to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ will spend an eternity apart from God. And I agree with him. And I hope part of this talk helps explain why. I tend to be more encouraging in my teaching and don't talk about hell a whole lot. And part of the reason for that is because I understand that some of you have been in religious environments where people manipulated with hell, right? And some people feel like they almost like the idea of hell. It's like, well, if you disagree with me, you're going to burn in these flames, right? It sounds like American politics, you know? If someone disagrees with you, you want them to burn. And some Christians act like they're excited that other people are going to go to hell. But honestly, I have no use for hell. I have no need for hell. I hope I'm completely wrong about hell. I hope we get there and say, oh, I was wrong. You know, everybody's here. It's all good. Uh, but I don't think that that's the way it is. And, you know, there's this verse that really challenges me on my teaching. Because I'm one of those guys that I like people to like me, you know, and I want to be a nice guy. I don't want to be that jerk pastor that yells at everybody and makes you feel like you're a hot dog over the flames of the barbecue pit, you know, and all of that. Um, but this verse challenges me, and it came from Paul when he wrote this letter to a younger minister named Timothy. 2 Timothy, look at verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. For a time's coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They'll follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear, and they will reject the truth and chase after myths. And is that what you really want? 
Do you want someone that just glosses over the hard realities of the scriptures and this life and eternity? Or do you want someone that's going to shoot you straight? And I think most of you come here, even those of you that are spiritual investigators and don't buy into the idea of a God just yet, um, at least you want someone to shoot you straight and tell you what's really in there. And that's what I'm going to endeavor to do. But I want to do it with a tone that is with much humility. I, I don't come to this subject... Uh, wanting people to be in hell at all. But the doctrine of hell has implications for how you and I live today, doesn't it? So my sense is, is there are a couple of different kinds of hell. That there is hell on earth and there's hell in the afterlife. Let's break up the conversation in two parts. Hell on earth we'll deal with first. Jesus describes hell as a real place that his audience would have known. It was a real place on earth called Gehenna. Gehenna was just outside Jerusalem. It was like a trash heap, and the Jewish people in Jerusalem would have remembered it and had all this knowledge and history of what happened at Gehenna because some of their ancient kings from the Old Testament days, long before Jesus, Manasseh and Ahaz actually lit their children on fire and burned them alive there, sacrificing them to their pagan gods there at Gehenna. Later, it became a place where corpses and refuse burned all the time. So it was a constant burning trash heap. People would throw dead carcasses in there and dead bodies in there. Dogs, wild dogs would come and eat and chew on all the different things that were in the trash heap. So it was known as a place of gnashing of teeth because of the wild dogs that were in there. It was known as a place of waste, and it represented a wasted life. So, as uh, you read through the red, you're going to read things about a literal place, Gehenna, like in Mark chapter 9, verse 43, you're going to see the author there talking about the unquenchable fires of hell, where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. That's Gehenna. Now, a few years ago, my wife and I were touring through Jerusalem, and our tour guide said, hey, would you like to see hell? And we were all like, sure, I guess. So he said, look out the window to your right. And there was Gehenna. It's now been turned into a park. So the place that used to be the trash heap that bodies were burned and everybody remembered as a bad place on earth has been transformed into a park. And that actually gave me some hope is that you and I have the power to take places that are earthly hells and transform them into parks where children can play and people can thrive. Is anybody on board with doing stuff like that? So uh, La Shreca in Managua, Nicaragua is one of the worst places on earth I'd ever visited. Uh, I brought a picture of it today of this place, La Shreca. And this, it's this community of people that literally live around and on a dump. It's always burning. A lot of people there have asthma. Uh, the children, 98% of them have been sexually abused. I mean, it's an awful, ominous place where the fire is continually burning. Like I said, it's one of the worst places on earth that I've ever visited. Um, we toured all around uh, this area. And then we met this amazing woman. Her name was Melissa. And I brought a picture of Melissa inside the confines of her school. She started a school right there next to La Shreca, where children are educated and fed. She created an oasis of safety next to the dump where they wouldn't have to worry about being abused or harmed. I remember listening to, I'll never forget, the children laughing and playing because a woman decided to create a little slice of heaven right next to an earthly hell, see? 
And this is a woman who did not fear failure as she went to Managua, Nicaragua to serve the children, but she was terrified of regret and she will get to the end of her life and never have to regret that she didn't obey God and go down and create a slice of heaven for children that were living through hell. See? And as I think about Melissa, I think about many of our volunteers who serve in Kid City. You know, those of you who are new here don't know that our Kid City building used to be a bordello, used to be a whorehouse where people were objectified. And now it's been transformed and our volunteers come every week and they create a little slice of heaven where children experience the love of God and are taught and trained about Jesus, see. It makes me think about city youth here on Wednesday nights where high school and middle school students can come and experience a little slice of heaven here on earth. I'll never forget the night when our youth pastor, Robbie, came to me. I embraced him and hugged him, and he broke down crying. He was broken over a young woman in our community who had just come to city youth after she had been rescued from sex trade traffickers, see, And it dawned on him the stakes of this game that we're engaged with here in our church, see. And these volunteers at City Youth, they don't fear, you know, failure. But they're terrified of regret. They're not going to have to live to regret that they didn't invest in the lives of students who needed them the most. I think about those of you who are school teachers, you know, those of you who work in SAISD, you're celebrating something in recent days, aren't you? If you went to the convocation, you heard that administrators are announcing that SAISD has now gone from a few years ago an F-rated district, and they're expected to be rated a B-rated district now, right on? Is anybody on board with that? That's exciting news, isn't it? Now, Humby's wife, Lauren... I've known her longer. I've known Pastor Humby, who you saw on video just a moment ago. I've joked around in recent days that when Lauren was a middle school student and high school student in the youth group I used to lead back in the day, I was praying that God would bring a godly man into Lauren's uh, life. And she married Humby, and so I'm still praying (laughs) God will do something there. But this past week, Lauren said something that made an impact on me. Fourteen years ago, she was thinking about where she would teach as she was going through college. And she said, every day for 14 years, I've worked towards this. That is the B rating for SAISD. And now everyone in San Antonio can see what I've believed all along. Our kids deserve and will receive the same level of education as their suburban counterparts. The 50,000 inner city kids that I've fallen in love with, my neighbor's kids, my best friend's kids, my own kids. See, this is a woman who will Uh, never regret anything. She didn't fear failure when she moved into the inner city 14 years ago, but she was terrified of regret and she'll get to the end of her life and she won't have to regret that she didn't go into the inner city to serve inner city kids, right? Now, we know that God loves all the school districts and all our students and school administrators and teachers matter to God. And as I was praying this past week, my sense was is that we have some school teachers and administrators in our city that are worn down from doing battle for our kids because it's tough day in and day out in our schools for a lot of you, isn't it? And I just was compelled to pray for you. So I wanted you to come to church today, and if you'd be okay with doing so, I want to ask you to stand up if you're a school administrator, a teacher, 
or a student. Go ahead and stand up right now. Like standing up, that means that you like move your legs like this. It's kind of like a, it's called you just stand right up there. Could we join in thanking our teachers and, and students too. Students can stand up. So if you would join me in doing this, whether they're in the video cafe, balcony, or down here on the floor, would you just reach out your hands towards our students and teachers and administrators? And it doesn't mean you're like Yodi, you're going to jolt them with the force. It just means that you're showing support and you're joining me in prayers. I voice a prayer on our behalf. Lord, I want to thank you for these fine folks that are serving kids in administration and in the classroom teaching and investing in the lives of kids. I want to pray for students as well. But for these teachers and administrators, I pray, God, that you would fire up within them a passion for students and remind them why they got into it in the first place. And they know that there are children that are experiencing hell on earth. Some of them, as they come into their classrooms, I pray that these folks would create little slices of heaven for students that need it so badly. I pray that you would fill them with passion and desire and fill their tanks so they can do it another year. We thank you for them and we pray your blessing all over them. Whether they're here in this room in the video cafe or watching online, we pray your blessing on our schools and teachers and protection on them. And we pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Would you guys go ahead and take a seat and let's give it up and thank God for our teachers and ministers and the like. And I also wanted to mention to you today that if you're an educator or a student and you go by our cafe today, you can grab a free hat or t-shirt if you want one. Hopefully the earlier service didn't get everything uh, that you would want in your size. So go by there and on us, just receive a free hat, t-shirt, whatever you would like in there. But most of us would agree that there's hell on earth, wouldn't we? We have seen the pain and suffering in this life. But here's the part that's perhaps a little less palatable for people in Western civilizations, and that is that there is hell in the afterlife. You know, one of the places hell is described is Luke 12, 4 and 5. Let's read it. Jesus says, I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more, but I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell. When? After death. This isn't now. This is after death. The word for fear there is a phobothete, and it's the word from which we get phobias in the Greek language, the original Greek that the New Testament was written in. And it means to put to flight, to terrify. So you be, don't be afraid of failure, but be terrified of regret, the regret of never considering how you can know God. That's why I have so much love and respect and appreciation for those of you who are spiritual investigators who come here to figure out if you can know God, if God is for real and legit. And I'm so excited that you would come here and explore Christianity at your own pace so that you could try and figure out if you could have a relationship with God. And the good news is you can. Other people are going to regret never having shared Christ with friends and loved ones, never inviting friends to come to church to hear about Christ and how they can know God. You don't want to get to the end and regret not having said something to the people that you care about. You know, there are other people that uh, are going to regret never learning 
how they could uh, be involved in a tribe, never learning from a tribe or getting involved in a smaller community of people where you could grow in Christ. And, you know, we're going to have a tribe walk coming up in two weeks, August 25th, right outside in the courtyard. There'll be tables set up with tribe leaders, class group leaders that will be available to help get you into one of those groups. You know, for me, I think I have to not regret allowing our church to grow. And I'll tell you why. I don't want a bigger church. It means more work for me. I don't want to plant more churches because it means more work for me, but I don't have a choice. Because if I say, I just want to keep it small so I can manage it, and I just want to keep it small so um, I don't have to work harder, that's like me saying, I want more people to go to hell, and I can't say that. And we've talked to you about the potential of us moving to a larger venue here in the inner city someday. That's not plausible right now. We're praying about potentially adding a larger video cafe somewhere right here within our own development. I don't know when that's going to happen or how that's going to happen. We'll give you information as we receive it. But for now, here's what I know. I don't want to regret that I didn't create more space for people to come to faith in Christ and to know him and to avoid an afterlife in hell. There are other people that will regret never having gone through growth track to learn about your purpose in this life and how you can serve not only in the church, but also out in the community. And we've got growth track coming up today at 2.30, right after the last service today. It's going to be right next door in the video cafe if you want to join that. There are all kinds of regrets. You know, some people are going to regret never stewarding their resources in order to make a difference in the kingdom. And Jesus talks about a guy who was going to take an early retirement because he hoarded all his resources. And he talks about the thoughts of this guy in Luke chapter 12, verse 19. The guy says, I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things that you prepared, whose will they be? And I've met people that they saved wisely, as you should. I think you should save for retirement and prepare for life after your career. But I know people that saved up so much and never invested in the things of the kingdom, and then a stroke happens, or a heart attack happens, or cancer happens. And who will get all that you stored up then? And you can't get back those years of investing in places and things that will lead people to a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, a few chapters later in the book of Luke, as you continue to read the red, you'll see Jesus talking about a rich man who had fine clothes, the Bible says. And if he was alive today, he would have like an Armani suit and he would have those really fancy leather Italian shoes, you know. But there was a poor guy outside the gate at his gated community named Lazarus. And Lazarus was just hoping our money suit guy would just throw him some scraps, right? Maybe some pizza bones, you know, or maybe just some bread like we throw to the pigeons. But the rich guy didn't even give from his excess to the poor guy. And when they both died, rich guy went to hell. And Lazarus went to heaven with Father Abraham. And we see the exchange and what happened in Luke chapter 16. Look at verse 24. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, 
Remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he's here being comforted and you're in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there, Jesus says. So it's final, see? A lot of people would hope that, hey, you could get there and see the situation and make a change of heart, but it's appointed once for man to die and then to face the judgment, Hebrews says. And the rich guy didn't even get a name in the story. That's a definite diss in Hebrew culture. But Lazarus at least got a name. And though he was poor on this earth, it's the upside down kingdom. God doesn't see things the way we see them. And it was significant enough that this guy ended up in hell because he didn't care for the poor. You know, one of the things that you have to understand about God is that God's love is never forced, but sometimes it is withheld. So God doesn't force himself on people, but if people stiff arm him, he withdraws. You know, it's kind of like when you love someone that doesn't love you romantically. Have you ever loved someone that didn't love you? Guys, you love this woman and she put you in the friend zone, friend zone, you know? She said, you're like a brother to me. And you're just like, yeah. <laughs> or ladies, you like the guys, hey, you're like a little sister. Aren't you cute? You, you get so angry about that, right? But you realize, you know, I can't force my, if the person doesn't love me, that's, you know, I can't force myself on them because that's not love, is it? And I think C.S. Lewis captured that in a quote when he says that sin is man's saying to God through life, go away and leave me alone. And hell is God's finally saying to man, you may have your wish. It is God's leaving man to himself as man has chosen. And as people choose to stiff arm God and not receive a love relationship with him, there are ramifications to that because it's God who set the earth on its axis so that it could support life. It's God that brings love into the equation of our reality. It's God that brings joy and peace. And when you take him out of the equation of your existence in your life, it creates some bad vibes. You know, some people think that hell makes God out to be like the bad guy, but actually it's the opposite of that. Hell teaches us the depth of Jesus' love for us. Let me explain why. As a pastor, uh, I have to see some things that I don't like seeing sometimes that are hurtful. Yesterday, I visited a 13-year-old from our church in the hospital who had been shot, and he may, may not walk again. That was a hard day. Uh, I remember the day when I was in Liberia, Africa, and I talked to a friend about how the rebels executed her parents right in front of her. That was not a good day. I remember one night talking to a couple trying to keep their marriage together and I remember the face of this wife when her husband said, you know, I think about my women like I think about my beers. Some days I want a Dos Equis, some days I want a Budweiser. And I watched her face just fall. I think about the day I had to go home from work early because I was conducting a funeral ceremony and I broke down and cried during the funeral when I saw the size of the casket. It was a baby funeral and I thought no parent should have to bury their child like that. And so it weighs on you, you know, over time. But I want you to consider some of the painful things that you've had to see. And even consider some of the painful things I've had to see. 
and you think about the most loving, perfect, and holy being in all the universe, God, and he has to see it all. Not just what you see, not just what I see, but he has to see it all. Can you imagine what it does to his loving heart? And because of all that sin and abuse and death and decay, he had to send Jesus to do something about it on the cross. In fact, if you think about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all three in perfect community and have never been separated except for one time. When Jesus died on the cross, the father had to turn his head. He couldn't look upon Jesus who was receiving all the sins and pain and abuse of the world upon himself on the cross. He was receiving upon himself all the lies we've told, all the sins we've committed upon himself in one moment as the father turned his face away. All of it went upon Jesus And God someday is going to do something about it eternally. He's going to judge all the sin and abuse because he will not allow abusers to shape all of eternity. You know, uh, pastor and author Erwin Manis said, God is not dying to send us to hell. He died to keep us out of hell. And isn't that the truth? And so when you think about hell, let it drive you towards Jesus, not away from him. And I saw this news story and it read just like this. It said, she's pregnant and she had just, uh, he had just saved her from a fire in her house because he's a firefighter, rescuing her by carrying her out of the house and into her front yard. He then continued to fight the fire. And when he finally was done putting out the fire, he sat down to catch his breath and rest A photographer from Charlotte, North Carolina newspaper noticed her in the distance looking at the firemen, and he saw her walking straight toward the firemen and wondering what she was going to do. As he raised his camera, he came up, she came up to the tired fireman who had just saved her life and the lives of her babies, and she kissed him just as the photographer snapped the following photograph. Isn't that great? And look, what I want you to understand today is that Jesus is the firefighter that created a way for you and I to be saved. He carried us out, you know, on the cross. So don't let the doctrine of hell drive you away from him. Go towards him, right? And perhaps God brought some of you here today so that you could receive that truth for yourself. God's not excited about hell either. He doesn't want it. That wasn't his desire. But people just choose it And he won't force himself on people, you know? And maybe by his loving providence, he brought you here today, or perhaps you're watching online right now, you're in the video cafe, and you're sitting there drinking a cup of coffee, and you're thinking, God brought me here today to draw me into love relationship with himself. And so it would be such a privilege to pray with you right now. Could we bow for prayer? As we bow our heads and close our eyes, if you would like to have a love relationship with God that you've never had before in your life, I want you to just talk to him in your own heart and mind. You don't don't even have to say it out loud. Just pray it in your heart and say, God, look, I know I've sinned and screwed some stuff up. God, I've certainly not been perfect and I've broken my own standards. So certainly I've broken yours. But right now, the best I understand it and comprehend it, 
I am choosing to believe that Jesus was my firefighter on the cross. He died there to save me from the flames. And if you just prayed that and you'd like me to know about it, just peek up at me real quick or show me a hand, something like that. Anybody? Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for people all over the room. People praying right now, receiving you. Holy Spirit, feel unleashed. Feel welcome among us, Holy Spirit, because you're eradicating regret. As we continue in prayer, how many of us regret not having told someone or brought someone to Christ so they could learn about how they could know God? Just show me a hand or look up at me real quick. Anybody? Yeah, a bunch of us. Yeah, there's there's people that God is bringing to your mind right now that you don't want to get to the end of your life and regret not telling them. Anybody regret not learning about your purpose or not being involved in a small group tribe? Just raise your hand or show me your face. Look up at me real quick. You don't have to regret it. So God, our prayers, we don't want to regret not learning about our purpose and not engaging in community so we can get free from the dysfunctions in our life and change. And so our commitment today is that we're not going to fear failure. We're not going to be afraid of stepping into that small group tribe or we're not going to be afraid of going to grow track or having the spiritual conversation or inviting someone to church. We're not going to fear failure in that. But we will be terrified of regret because we don't want to get there someday. And the people we love never got a chance because we didn't tell them. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts today. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus, who is our firefighter. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.